Hey, Snacks! it's Chelsea back for another episode of The Sassnack Files. This week, we're discussing 509 Monsters and Heroes. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find The Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow The Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander C. Seasons 6 and 7, as well as anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. Also want to take a moment to remind you that you can follow my author page under C. Leach author on Instagram and just under Chelsea Leach on Facebook. Make sure to grab a copy of Downforce available now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Walmart. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into my analysis of 509 Monsters and Heroes. This episode, I think, is a favorite of the fans, and I honestly was a little bit unsure as to why it received the fandom accolades that it did, because I was so amazed by The Ballad of Roger Mack that I couldn't quite grasp why everybody was so fond of this episode. It's not that I didn't enjoy it whenever I saw it. Like, I 100% did, and I still do. But it's one of those that it's not a stands out in my head as the best episode ever. I don't know why that is. Honestly, the first thing that I think about when I think of this episode is the growing relationship between Jamie and Roger. And then the second one is the thing that I always describe when people are like, which one is Monsters and Heroes? I'll be like, the one where Jamie gets bitten by the snake. Of course, that is the most recognizable plot piece in this episode. However, when I watch this episode, I think it's all of the little things that I love so much about this episode that really draw me in and make me fall in love with it all over again. It's the little surprising bits of nuanced character work that the actors put in. It's the tiny little dialogue lines that our characters have. It's the relationship building in this episode. And I think that when we're looking at the grand scheme of Outlander as a whole, there's so much epic material, right? You've got all of these grand battles and sea voyages and political storylines that are going on that it's very easy for an episode like this to get lost in the shuffle. But when you take a closer look and you rewatch this episode, I suddenly realized that this probably is one of my favorite episodes of season five. I mean, it's not going to beat Ballad of Roger Mack. If we're taking Ballad of Roger Mack off the table, then I would say that Monsters and Heroes is probably my second favorite episode of season five. And that's simply because of the family dynamic in this episode. We've spent five seasons watching Jamie and Claire build a life together, and this episode is the culmination of all of that. It shows us exactly what they have built, this wonderful family unit that is composed of their children and their spouses, and it really is fantastic in a way that is completely unexpected. It's an episode full of the little things. And I know that when you ask Matt Roberts or Meryl Davis what people love about Outlander, it's the little moments. And I really believe that's true because the big thing that happens, the big thing, the way that I describe this episode, it's the one where Jamie gets bitten by the snake. And that is very true. But that's not what people love about this episode. They love the little moment where Roger and Brie are laying in bed together. They love the moment where Fergus and Ian are talking about Jamie. The title of this episode, Monsters and Heroes, gave us pause when we were trying to analyze the season five episode titles and break down what we thought was going to be in this episode. Because that title is a title of a chapter in The Fiery Cross. But that chapter is about the whole Stephen Bonnet storyline. And then if you look at the obvious of Monsters and Heroes... Then you think, oh, well, it could be about the snake bite because a snake is a monster, right? That's how everybody views them. It's a, it turns out to be a little bit of both because they did take the line from Jamie. There's a fine line between a monster and a hero. 
And he's talking about Stephen Bonnet versus the Frasers and the idea of revenge and killing people. There's a very fine line between what makes a monster and a hero. But you also have the literal monsters versus heroes. You got the buffalo versus Bree. You got the snake versus Jamie. So I found that Outlander likes to do that. They like to take the obvious and mix it with the metaphorical. I liked that title for this episode for a lot of reasons. But I think the biggest thing about this episode, like I said, is the family. And so that's how we're going to break down this episode by topic during this podcast. The first thing that I want to talk about is the parent-child dynamic that we've got going on. Roger and Jamie, first and foremost, their relationship is front and center this episode. And I think it was half past time that that happened. There are a lot of conspiracy theories out there. There is a lot of blame placed. I don't know the reasons why Roger has been adapted the way that he has. I I don't know. I do not get paid enough to answer that question. But I will say that I think the relationship between Jamie and Roger has had the short end of the stick. And I think that is a huge reason why people do not like Roger's character. And that's evidenced by kind of the turnaround that we had in how people viewed Roger after this season, I think. Because we watched the evolution of Jamie and Roger together. And we picked up right where we left off in season four. Jamie obviously was not Roger's biggest fan at the end of season four. And season five, we were kind of in the same place. Him poking fun at Roger, throwing in little jabs wherever he could about, oh, he sings like a bird, but he's not for shooting him. Or, oh, loud wailings, huh? Like father, like son. Just these things that happen that just irk all of us book readers. And we saw it happening. And it wasn't helping how show viewers were perceiving him. And so all through this season, you see the little jabs soften into pokes and prods and Jamie kind of taking on the self-blame on, well, you're not well adapted and that's on me because I thought you were ready to do this and you weren't. Still kind of placing blame on Roger, but it's softening a little bit. And then what happened in The Ballad of Roger Mack, I think really woke Jamie up. He was like, oh shit, like this guy did this for me and he almost died because of it. So that's really when we start to see a shift in it. You don't see it so much because of some of the deleted scenes that we lost compounded with Jamie's grief over Myrta that it's kind of masked behind everything else that Jamie was going through last episode, but it's there underneath. And in this episode, it's still there. It's still there a little bit that Jamie isn't 100% sure about Roger, but that was the reason for this episode's existence. It was about putting two characters together that would normally not be caught dead together, forcing them into a situation where they had to interact and air their differences. And it was phenomenal. I mean, Sam and Richard together, they knock my socks off every time, and I'm so sad we don't get more scenes with them together. So I'm really hoping that that's about to change in season six here in like two weeks. Fingers crossed. But Overall, I think there is a lot of effort being put in on both sides, but them not recognizing that each other is putting in the effort, if that makes sense. Um, We saw that when they were hunting, and Jamie's a funny guy. We don't get as much of his humor in the show, but he does have a pretty good sense of humor, and I think that that is showcased in Monsters and Heroes really well. I think that these characters that we saw in 509 were a more authentic version of themselves than we have previously seen. And I think that's one of the reasons that it was such a fan favorite episode. When Roger steps in the pile of poo and Jamie leans in and he says it's still warm and gives Roger this smile. And then Roger just raises his eyes like, oh, really? Thanks for that. And Jamie just kind of the smile falls off his face like he's trying to make a joke, but Roger didn't think it was funny. And so they're at this awkward stage where they want to bridge the gap between them but they're not quite sure how. And then the world falls apart. Jamie gets bitten by a snake and Roger goes into crisis mode and he's like, oh shit, like we can't lose him. Like if Jamie Fraser dies, we're all toast. And there's a fantastic line. I think I've probably mentioned it before in the Fiery Cross where Roger is thinking to himself, 
replace the man they call himself. Not bloody fucking likely. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Because Jamie is pleading with Roger. He's like, if I die, promise me you'll take care of Claire and the Ridge. He's acknowledging that if Jamie is no longer present, Roger becomes the head of the family. And it's up to Roger to protect and defend what is theirs. Whether Roger's ready for that or not, it's coming is what it looks like. And that's what Jamie's trying to tell him. I think while Jamie and Roger's relationship as a whole had a great arc this episode, Roger's arc also kind of completed itself in a way. Because whenever we started out with season five, he was a complete fish out of water that still 100% intended to go home. And I think while Roger still plans on going home, he has changed as a person. We talked about at the end of Famous Last Words how he said, you know, I'll never be the old Roger again. But in this episode, he's finally coming to the conclusion that, yeah, the old Roger is dead and buried. And the new Roger is starting to realize that sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do because it's what needs to be done. I think that all stems from this conversation that Roger and Jamie have, wherein Jamie lets it all out. I mean, he's been keeping it to himself for nine effing episodes that Stephen Bonnet is alive. He thinks that him and Claire and Lord John can handle it and that nobody else needs to know. And he doesn't know that Brianna and Roger have known all this time until this episode. That's a hell of a thing to keep to yourself. And I really, really, really appreciate that Roger chose not to keep it to himself. I think that went a long way towards showing how much Roger and Brianna's relationship has evolved as well. When Jamie says to him, Stephen Bonnet is still alive, and if I can't kill him, then you must. It brings up a valid question for Roger. He's thinking, I don't know if I can look a man in the eye and kill him in cold blood. I I don't know if I can bring myself to do that because that's asking a lot. And to be honest, I don't know if I could either. I've thought about that a lot. If somebody broke into my house and I had a gun, could I shoot them? I don't know. I don't know that I could. There are a lot of people that that's not even a question. Of course they could. If it was defending their family and defending themselves, 100% they could. But I don't know if I could. So I completely understand where Roger's at. That he's like, I I don't know. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot to handle. Before this episode, Jamie did not have an honest moment with Roger, I don't think. Jamie was very much afraid to show his weak spots. You can even see that in the beginning of this episode when... Jamie first gets bitten by the snake and Roger's like, can you walk? And Jamie tries so hard to get up and he pushes himself against the tree, but it's very obvious that he's just, he's not capable of getting up and walking out. So I love that Roger and Jamie, they have a give and take about their relationship. It's this very unspoken thing that they don't need to acknowledge each other's weak spots. They understand them and they'll make up for it as much as they can so that the other doesn't have to admit it. They're both very proud, Jamie more so than Roger, but Roger gets that about Jamie, that he is a proud individual and that he doesn't want to admit that he needs help. But in this conversation that Roger and Jamie have in this very, very long, cold, dark night, Jamie lets his guilt kind of seep out of him. And I almost viewed it as confession in a way. Jamie is cleansing his soul of all these secrets that he's been keeping because he doesn't know if he's going to survive to see the morning. And so he's using Roger to confess all of his deep, dark crimes and sins. And Jamie says, you know, I once had the opportunity to kill Stephen Bonnet and I couldn't do it. And because of it, my friend died. My wife was attacked and what he did to Bree, he can't even say it. And the look on Sam's face was just so great. Like you can see it's been eating him alive, picturing what his daughter went through because of his mistake, because he couldn't make that decision to refuse to let Stephen Bonnet go. Bree paid the price for that. It makes Roger sick too. You can see it on his face. He just kind of, his eyes just get hard. And his jaw clenches and he's just like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to think about it. It's hard enough knowing that it happened without having to talk about it. But how can they make it right? Is there any way to make it right? Is the whole point of this conversation and Jamie saying the only way to make it right is to kill Stephen Bonnet. There is no other way. And when Roger says it's a dangerous path to go down, 
vengeance. Jamie says something to him that explains everything we've been seeing in his actions throughout this season without actually verbatim explaining, which is what I love about the way this episode was written. Jamie goes on to say that Bonnet could potentially claim Jemmy as his son and that Jocasta bequeathed River Run to Jemmy. So it's not about vengeance. Killing Stephen Bonnet is about protecting what is theirs, protecting their family, protecting their beliefs, and protecting those that come after them. That is a different story. And I think that is what Roger comes to understand by the end of this episode. So that when we get that final scene between Jamie and Roger, where the story has come full circle, Roger says, I understand that I'm no longer being held to fulfilling your dying wish, but I still want to go with you when you go to meet Stephen Bonnet. Because Roger realizes at that point, it's not about vengeance. It's about protecting their family. And that is the Roger from the books that all of us book readers know and love. Somebody that is willing to do everything and anything to protect those that he loves. We've got that whole bit of Roger and Jamie's relationship, but then we also get it in these bits of humor that come out. Like I was talking about earlier, we see Jamie's humor towards Roger manifest in him poking jabs at Roger throughout the beginning of this season. In 509, we start to see that humor as Jamie's trying to bridge the gap between them. One of my favorite moments and good example of this is they're talking about Bonnet's offense towards the family. And Roger quotes a passage out of the Bible. He says, But whosoever shall offend those little ones who believe in me, better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And then he says, Matthew verse three. And Jamie says, verse six. But it's like not a I'm better than you. And it's not a challenge. He does it to lighten the mood. It's a difference in how he says it. These little playful things, these jabs, it becomes their thing. And we see it throughout the rest of this episode as this is their point of bonding almost. This is how they converse with each other now. And I really love that they've taken this thing that was once a source of tension between these two characters, and now it's the thing that makes us smile when we see it on screen. When Roger is taking Jamie on the Travoy, I think is what it's called, the next day towards Fraser's Ridge, <laughs> Jamie wakes up and he says, what is this, the bed of Procrustes? And Roger remarks back and he says, could be worse, it could be Karen's boat. <laughs> and I didn't know what either of those things were. So the nerd in me had to look it up, right? So here we go. This is from Encyclopedia Britannica. It says, Procrustes had an iron bed, or according to some accounts, two beds, on which he compelled his victims to lie. Here, if a victim was shorter than the bed, he stretched him by hammering or racking the body to fit. Alternatively, if the victim was longer than the bed, he cut off the legs to make the body fit the bed's length. In either event, the victim died. Jesus. So <laughs> Jamie's like, are you trying to torture me to death <laughs> by putting me on this sled? Is basically what Jamie's getting at it. And then Roger says, well, it could be worse. It could be Caron's boat, which Caron was the god of war or something like that in Greek mythology. And anyway, he shuttled souls back and forth to the underworld on this boat. So Roger's saying, well, at least you're not dead. So it's a very funny, lighthearted moment in a very, very serious scene, which is followed up with Jamie very seriously thinking that he is on death's door. He says the most heartbreaking line of, I think, the whole season almost, like one of the worst. It brings tears to my eyes every time I hear it because he looks at Roger and he says, tell Bree I'm glad of her. Give my sword to the Baron and tell Claire I meant it. I don't even know what to say exactly other than just that I want to dissolve into a puddle of tears at that statement. There are so many things that he could have meant with tell Claire I meant it, and I tend to fall back on that line from the season four premiere 
where he says, when my body dies, my soul will still be yours. I really tend to think that that's what he meant. But there are so many things that he has said to her over this period of time that it could have been anything. But it's just the idea that if he didn't make it back, like, tell Claire I meant it, that, like, I'm still with her. Like, my soul is still hers, even if I'm not with her anymore. It's just really so beautiful, but so sad at the same time. And Roger is just past desperate at this point. Like, he's doing everything he can to get Jamie back to Claire in time to heal him. And it's not working. And so all of a sudden, Roger just is like, you know what? Literally, all I can do in this moment is pray about it. And so he does. He prays. And I think that a huge topic in this episode is self-discovery. We see both Bree and Roger struggling with who they are and how to make that a thing of practice in the 18th century. When you view Roger's actions through the lens of what you know is going to happen, and I'm trying to talk around spoilers here because I know that this is going to be a major theme in season six, and I know that a lot of you haven't read the books, so I'm trying to talk around spoilers. When you know where Roger ends up in life, and you look back at season five, and even parts of season four, I'm thinking particularly... 412 Providence, a lot of things about his character are going to suddenly make loads of sense. Things that you didn't necessarily see before that you're going to go, oh. So bear with us. I really think that season six is going to be a game changer for Roger's character in a lot of respects. And it's going to inform people's watching experience. When you go back and rewatch after season six, you're going to see things start to happen in a different light. I think this episode is one of those things. I think it'll make more sense. So that's all I'll say about it. Because like I said, I don't want to spoil anything for those of you that don't know what's coming. And for those of you that do know what's coming, you 100% know what I'm talking about. And I'm looking at you, babe. (laughs) So... Whenever we get back to the ridge, it's like it kind of hits a crossing point. This episode has two acts. The first is Roger and Jamie and that whole arc. And then the second is once Roger gets Jamie back to the ridge, then it is very much Jamie and Claire from then on. We still see these little bits of growth happening in Jamie and Roger's relationship, though. In particular, like I was talking about how they. They joke with each other, and that's kind of their dynamic. That's how they communicate. We see that happen when Jamie is saying, Roger Mack, I wish to sleep in my own bed. And after some, you know, I don't know, Claire's probably going to rip me a new one (laughs) in her dialogue. Roger walks over to Jamie and says, ferrying you about is becoming an everyday occurrence. And then at the very end of the episode, when Jamie wakes up and finds Roger asleep next to his bed, Roger says... I wanted to be sure you were going to be all right, but uh, I would just like to point out that you are, in fact, still alive. (laughs) And Jamie says, I wouldn't think you would be one to gloat, Professor. So this is their new relationship dynamic, and I am really, really, really a fan of it. Moving on from Roger and Jamie, the other big parent-child dynamic that we've got going on is Bree and Claire. There are a couple of big scenes that Brie and Claire have together. The first one is the discussion on career paths. And I've always found it interesting that Brianna and Claire kind of have similar journeys in that area because Brianna is one of two women that are going to school at MIT for engineering. And Claire was the only woman in her class in medical school at Harvard. So... If anybody knows what Brianna is struggling with as far as finding her place in the world, it's Claire. And I love that they have this conversation wherein Claire tells her, look, you will find your way forward eventually. It may not be in exactly the way that you expect, but you will find your way. Whatever they may call an engineer here in this time, you'll find a way to be that. I really adored that conversation because first it sets the stage for Brianna's journey in this episode towards finding a way to save Jamie. And I absolutely love the look that Roger and Jamie both give Brie that that's my girl look when she waltzes into the surgery and says, wait, 
And I will say that the, did you know that pit vipers have beautiful engineering? I was like, okay, Brie, let's get to the point. Come on, let's wrap this bad boy up. (laughs) Your mom's about to cut your dad's leg off. I did think that that bit of dialogue was a bit too extra for me, but overall, the invention of the snake fang syringe, bravo to Brie, will say that the administration of the penicillin broth was not exactly how I envisioned it and didn't seem 100% accurate, but we'll leave that there. I'm not going to get into it. There were a couple of things in this episode that I was like, eh, but in lieu of any like massive complaints, I just, I won't add any fuel to the complaint fire. I will just let it ride for this episode. So the second big conversation that Brie and Claire have is happening simultaneous to the next scene that I will chat about. So Brie and Claire are out on the porch sitting on the stairs And Claire is talking about how sick it makes her to think of cutting Jamie's leg off. I really, really, really liked this scene because it's not often that we see Claire struggle with her medical care decisions. There isn't a lot of hesitation in what she decides to do. And I think she isn't hesitating about amputating Jamie's leg. Like she knows that that is the path forward. But what makes it difficult for her is 100% the reason why doctors are not allowed to perform procedures on their immediate family members because there's too much emotion involved in it. And we see that front and center with this issue that we've got with Jamie and Claire. Jamie does not want to lose his leg. He is very adamant about that that he doesn't think he's worth diddly squat if he doesn't have his leg. And Claire realizes that if she doesn't cut off his leg, Jamie could very well die from the infection that is spreading through his body because of this limb. So when we have this conversation between Bree and Claire, Bree says, well, at least he'll be alive to be mad at you if you cut it off. And Claire says, yeah, but every time he looks down, it would be a constant reminder that I was the one that did it to him and that I didn't keep my word. That's heartbreaking because Claire knows how to save Jamie and she can't because he made her promise that she wouldn't. If push came to shove, I fully believe that she would have done it. She would have cut off his leg if he had gone unconscious and he was dying and she had to do it to save him, I 100% believe that she would have, even if he didn't want her to. But it's just watching this inner conflict take place. And I think Katrina was fantastic in showing that struggle that Claire is having and that Brie is right there with her mom being her confidant and being her shoulder to cry on. It really was a wonderful way to showcase this mother-daughter relationship that we have that I feel is really a strong point in this show. So what's happening simultaneously to this scene between Brie and Claire is a complete ass-chewing that Ian is giving Jamie for being so selfish. I'm so glad that somebody said it because it couldn't be Claire and it couldn't be Brie, but Ian has been through enough in his young life that I think he was uniquely placed to say something to Jamie about how he was behaving. The quote is, you know, there were times when I felt guilty when I was younger for wishing you were my father. I admired you so much. I ran away to Edinburgh to be with you. But you're right. Now I do see how courageous my father was and is. I never thought I'd see the day I'd be ashamed of you, uncle. Because Jamie is acting like it's the worst possible thing in the world that could happen to someone. And that there's no way he can move forward without it. When two of the closest people in the world to him, Fergus and Ian, are missing limbs. And he never for a second treated them differently because of their disability. But now all of a sudden, when it's him, he's being a hypocrite. He's saying, I can't possibly live without it. I have a horror of it. And I understand. Like, I get that, that you don't want to go without a limb. And obviously, that wouldn't be anyone's first choice. If you had another option obviously take it. But Jamie's kind of out of options at this point. And so that is what's difficult about this situation. And I really think that Jamie needed somebody like Ian to step up and say, look, your behavior is uncalled for. It's not worth risking your life over. And I'm honestly kind of ashamed that you're behaving the way that you are. 
I was like, standing up, mic drop, walk away. Good job, Ian. That was fantastic. And I think that John Bell did a great job of delivering those lines too, because if you say it the wrong way, it comes across bratty instead of serious adult to adult conversation. And you can see when Ian leaves the room, Jamie didn't ever think that those would be words that would come out of Ian's mouth. And he's right. Ian has looked up to his uncle for a long time. Like it's his father figure to know that he's shattered that perfect persona that Ian had of him, that he's shown his weaknesses and vulnerabilities underneath and that he needs to grow up and be strong because his family still needs him. Even if he doesn't think that he's enough for them, they still need him in their lives. I think that that is something very important that really needed to kind of be shoved in his face. Because like I said, Jamie is a very stubborn individual. And sometimes you just got to whack him over the head with whatever you're trying to tell him. So that covers the parent-child dynamic. And holy smokes, (laughs) we are quite a ways into this episode. So we're going to move right along to the marriage dynamic of this whole shebang. So we've got Roger and Brie, who in Famous Last Words was really struggling. But Brianna made a vow to Roger that she wanted their marriage to be strong and gave him the whole speech about the paper airplane. So we really see that concerted effort in this episode of Roger and Brie trying to evolve through their struggle into a more mature and better version of themselves. I love that we start out this episode with a scene of them together as a family unit. They're in bed. Roger wants a morning quickie. (laughs) Clearly he's feeling it. And then Jimmy's awake and he goes, shit. And Brianna makes a comment about, oh, nasty sting you've got there. (laughs) Want me to blow on it? Jemmy goes, shit. And Brianna's like, oh, where'd he learn this do word from? (laughs) So it's a really cute scene to kind of show that fences have been mended and Roger and Brie are better than ever. They're stronger and they're back together 100%. But I think what really, really showcases the growth in their relationship this episode was when Jamie told Roger overnight in the darkness on that long ass night where Roger sat up and sat vigil over Jamie while he was sick. Jamie told Roger about Stephen Bonnet. And then the next day when they get back, Roger tells Bree about Jamie's plan to kill Stephen Bonnet. I really, really, really appreciated the honesty between them because I truly believe that honesty is the best policy. Even if somebody doesn't like what you're going to tell them, it's better to get it out there than to find out that you were keeping secrets from one another. So in the telling of the whole Stephen Bonnet issue, it comes to light that Stephen Bonnet could legally take Jemmy away from Roger and Bree and that This is what Jamie has been keeping to himself. This is why Jamie is so dead set on killing Stephen Bonnet because he knows that Bonnet has a legal case and it's not necessarily right, but it's it's valid in the eyes of the 18th century law that people view a child's conception as proof that a couple's union was consensual because God would never allow a child to be conceived out of rape which newsflash is not right. And the naivete of people back then just drives me up a wall. But Brianna is kind of just like, what? Like me and you were married. Jemmy is your son. Shouldn't the law protect you? And yeah, there's nothing protecting them. And that is why it's so important to take matters into their own hands where Stephen Bonnet is concerned. That honesty between Brianna and Roger, while it's tough to hear, is definitely proof that their relationship is growing. We get to see Fergus and Marsily a little bit in this episode, which I adore Fergus and Marsily. My brother calls them Jamie and Claire 2.0, which I also think is about to take a roller coaster ride in the other direction this upcoming season. But... I love the um, Marsily in labor scene where Fergus is playing with the kids and speaking French to them. And then Marsily's like, Fergus, <laughs> Fergus. It's really good. But I think the line that says the most about Fergus and Marsily's relationship is when Fergus is talking to Ian and he says, Marsily and I try 
to not think about what we lack, but about what we have. And that's kind of how they live their life. And I thought, wow, that's a really great way of looking at things because life sure has a way of giving you lemons a lot of the time. And if you're constantly thinking about what you don't have, that's a pretty deep hole to dig for yourself. So that really makes a lot of sense on kind of why they are the way they are. If they're constantly focusing on the good things in their lives versus what they're lacking. Speaking of Fergus and Marsley, there was a scene between Marsley and Claire that I should have thrown into the parent dynamic section, which was the very first scene of this episode where Marsley is having her last checkup with Claire before the baby comes. And Marsley makes the comment, I'm really glad you'll be here with me, not necessarily as my physician, but as my ma. And I just went, aww. When I heard that for the first time, because I remember way back in season three, when Marsley and Claire first met, Marsley was not the president of the Claire Fraser fan club, okay? She hated Claire. And while we've seen a gradual growth in their relationship, it really is like the icing on the cake to have Marsley refer to Claire as her ma. And so I love that. You have to know, right, when an episode starts out like this, that it's going to go south in a hurry. And I have a feeling that there's one episode in particular in season six. I'm calling it right now. It's going to be episode six, The World Turned Upside Down. It's going to start off really sweet and innocent. And then the the bottom's going to fall out of it really quick. So I'm calling it now, guys. Mark it down. So obviously the big marriage that we want to talk about in marriage dynamics is Jamie and Claire, always. A lot going on between Jamie and Claire in this episode in the few scenes they did have together. The biggest one, I think, is really Jamie making Claire promise that she won't amputate his leg. And like I said, he's terrified of it. He has a horror of the thought of losing his leg. And in the books... He was scared to death in Outlander, the first book, that Claire was going to have to amputate his hand after Blackjack Randall smashed it with a mallet. And that's part of the reason that his depression went as deep as it did. So to see that here we are four seasons later, and once again, Jamie's put in the position of potentially losing a limb. He's absolutely terrified. And I really applauded how Claire approached it because She's all off in the kitchen getting tea and then she hears this crash and Jamie is crawling back into bed with this amputation saw. And she's like, what are you doing? And he says, I'm not letting you take my leg. You got to promise me. I may be fevered and lose my wits and I want your word that you're not going to take advantage of my unconscious state to saw off my leg, Claire. And she says, well, obviously I don't want to, but if it comes down to a choice between your leg and your life, he says, it won't not going to. And she says, Jamie, it might. She's very tender, but very firm about it. And I think that is the doctor, the bedside manner in her. Like, understand that this isn't my first option. And I hope it's not an avenue that we have to explore, but this may have to happen. And I'm sorry about it, but it kind of is what it is. But, you know, Jamie makes her promise that she won't, which is gut-wrenching. And I think that the most important thing to take from that scene is the trust that Jamie and Claire have in each other. That even if it's not what Claire wants, it's what Jamie wants. And if she gives him her word that she won't do it, he really trusts that that's an action that she won't take. I know back when we were discussing 503 Free Will, that Jamie made Claire promise that if he ever suffered a stroke, she would put him out of his misery like he did for Mr. Beardsley. And I said, you know, she did promise him that she would, but I'm not so sure that that's the case. Like if she had to save his life, she would do whatever she had to do. And I said, well, I'll talk about it more when I get to 509. Well, here we are. I don't know that Claire would have abided by Jamie's wishes. I would like to think that that level of trust between them is enough for her to not do that to him if that wasn't what he wanted. But at the same time, I think if push comes to shove, she would have saved his life, even if that meant him hating her forever. I'm really glad it didn't come to that, guys. Like, really glad. And I'm glad that Ian managed to get through to Jamie enough that... He didn't make her have to make that choice. That he was like, you know what, I take it back. You can cut off my leg. 
I'm really glad that he came to that decision on his own and Claire didn't have to make that choice, even though it would have made for really great drama. And I know that I was talking to a few show watchers who said, you know, we were never really worried that Jamie was going to die, but we were really worried he was going to lose his leg. And I think that was the point. Like, obviously, we know they're not going to kill Jamie, but it's just the idea. So Jamie's death scene, I refer to it as Jamie's death scene because I fully believe that he was like there. He had one foot in and one foot out. It was really beautiful. Like it gives me goosebumps every time I watch that scene, just the way that the music swells with the strings. Putting aside what's happening on the screen, it really is beautiful sentiment. I think that Claire kind of goes into survival mode. When Jamie kind of falls unconscious, she feels his pulse. It's really faint. He's cold. So his circulation isn't where it needs to be. So she goes to skin to skin contact and sexual stimulation because those are the two things that are for sure going to get his blood pumping if anything is. And it does. It brings him back from the edge. But when Jamie realizes that he's on death's door, he says, Sassanac, touch me. Because he knows she's the only thing that can pull him back. And whenever he is explaining this to her at the end of the episode, in that scene where she says, you tried to die on me, didn't you? He says he could feel his heart slowing and the pain got farther away. And all of a sudden, he could see clearly that there was this passageway where he could move forward and he really, really wanted to, but he knew what was behind him. There was this debate, this struggle for him on what he should do. And then that's when he asked Claire to touch him because he knew that as long as she was with him, she would give him the strength to stay and that they needed him there. <laughs> and she says this line, well, you didn't stay because you love me. And he says, whether I'm dead or you, whether we're together or apart, I will always love you. But there is a war coming. God has made me what I am. He's given me a duty and I must do it no matter the cost. So he realizes that, yes, he loves Claire and she will keep him on earth like she has that power over his soul. But he stayed because of the path before him that he's going to pursue through season six onward, the duty that God has given him to be a man of war, to be a man of action, to be a leader. And he's embracing that duty no matter the cost. That storyline for Jamie is really ramping up and setting up the rest of this season and then a jumping off point into the rest of the show, really, as far as I can see it going, the rest of the show. The last thing that I really want to talk about, it's just a couple of little things because for all the parent-child dynamic and the dynamic with the marriages, there are also a lot of really good little family scenes. The one that really, really sticks out to me is the scene between Fergus and Ian. And this was the first scene we have had between Fergus and Ian since season three. And I loved them together then and I love them together now, like the older versions of Ian and Fergus. Oh my gosh, their brotherly love just ebbs off them in waves, like it just comes together and fills the screen. They're so good together, John Bell and Cesar Domboy. And further to the point, the scene that they have together is one where we really start to understand the person that Fergus is. We haven't really got a lot of him. He's kind of been an in and out, in and out character. And this is like the first scene of substance that Fergus has had in a while. He's talking about his and Marsley's relationship, how they approach life. Whenever Fergus lost his hand, he had joked with Jamie that in one stroke, I've become a man of leisure. <laughs> and then Ian says, man of leisure, eh? Can't wait to see what Marsley has to say about that. <laughs> oh, man. I love their relationship. But the sweetest thing about this scene is it's the first time that we hear Fergus refer to Jamie as his father. He's always me lord, and he always will be. But to see that that's how Fergus views him, that he says, you and I have a father and an uncle that we love and we need to be there for him. 
no matter what, like even if he is being a selfish ass, we still need to be there for him. So I really love that we get that snapshot of who Fergus is ahead of season six, because I think this is going to be a humdinger for him as well. With that, that about wraps up my thoughts on 509 Monsters and Heroes. Before we close out and get to listener comments, I want to talk about performance of the episode, which I actually thought was an ensemble performance because holy smokies, guys. Like, everybody did a phenomenal job, whether we're talking about Sophie Skelton, Rick Rankin, Cesar Donboy, Lauren Lyle, Katrina Balfe, Sam Hewen, John Bell, everybody. Everybody did a fantastic job. So ensemble performance and quote of the episode is from the scene in The Longest Night Ever where Roger says, well, this is a hell of a time to get philosophical when Jamie is talking about how, unfortunately for Roger, uh, the son must pay for the sins of the father whenever they're talking about killing Stephen Bonnet. So I loved that the, this is a hell of a time to get philosophical. (laughs) Roger's finally at that point where he can just say it. He can say all the things that he's been wanting to say to Jamie for all this time. And that's part of what makes that night so great between Roger and Jamie. As always, I opened it up for you guys to let me know what you guys thought. So now that I have had a chance to air my thoughts on 509, let's get into listener comments. Lara Hillman Turner says, I love this episode. I forgot how much happens in this episode. It is packed. This is the episode that shows Jamie is accepting Roger and who he is. I love Roger so much in this episode. After Jamie is bit by the snake, when he asks Roger if he knows the last rites, you can see Roger internally roll his eyes and say, Christ. Roger is able to keep Jamie's spirits lifted while internally he is unsure what to do next. Sam has a lot of his great face acting in this episode. Ian most definitely needed to let Jamie have it. Ian brings up valid points to counter Jamie's opposition to having his leg amputated, especially the part when Jamie says it's a matter of honor. Young Ian says that Ian and Fergus lost hand and limb in battle. There's nothing honorable about being bitten by a snake. Ian telling Jamie he was ashamed of him really hit home for Jamie. Favorite quotes this episode, Marsley to Claire, it does make me feel better to know that you'll be here, not as my physician, but to share with me as a, as my ma. And Jamie declare, you should work on your bedside manner, Sassenach. <laughs> yes. I love that line where Claire's like, uh, yeah, well, you wouldn't really come to a surgeon for a snake bite. The closest thing I can think of is an autopsy when this guy was bitten by a king cobra. And Jamie's like trying really hard not to lose his shit. And he's like, autopsy? <laughs> like what you did to Leith Parrish? Like, poor guy. You should really work on your bedside manner, Sassenach. <laughs> I really loved that Sam was so focused on the regulator side of things, like the whole Murta storyline, that he completely forgot that this episode was going to be a thing. And then he got a script and he was like, oh, another big episode for Jamie. Okay, let's do this. This was a big season for Jamie. And I know I agree with you, Lara. Ian letting Jamie have it, I think, was really what Jamie needed to hear. And it's because it was so unexpected. Like, Ian is always in Jamie's corner, 100%, whatever he needs. And for Ian to stand up and say, get your shit together, man. You're embarrassing me. (laughs) That was important for Jamie's character, I think. It was 100% a wake-up call for him. Rebecca Power says, I really liked this episode. So many characters shifted in their relationship to Jamie. In most episodes, the others look to him for protection and approval. But in this episode, they tell him what to do and make peace with the likelihood that he will not like it. The scene where Ian lectures him and reminds him that his value is not just his physicality. I feel like this is a necessary rite of passage for him. Absolutely a necessary rite of passage. And I think we will see that play out even more in season six dot, 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 to be continued. All right. Christy Jarvis Otero says, I really enjoyed this episode. Jamie awkwardly busting up Brian Rogers' morning was hilarious. Jamie, of all people, acting like a prude. This episode went a long way to bringing fans back on board the Roger train. Jamie and the viewer sees him step up and finally starts to see him for the good, solid man he is rather than a hapless idiot. Loved how Ian chastised Jamie about the possible amputation. Jamie needed to hear it and Ian said what needed to be said. Jamie was willing to die and leave Claire. Dude, you think she'd let you go that easily after what she went through to return to you? He needed to get slapped back into reality and Ian's words did that. Okay, and maybe Claire's magical handy. (laughs) 
I wonder if there was any blue light. I don't know. Good question, Christy. All in all, it was a great episode with snippets of daily life on the ridge, lots of time for character relationships, and the strife that we expect from Outlander. Because we can't go an episode without someone in the Fraser family put in mortal peril. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? But it wasn't like a epic battle sequence or something like that that put somebody in peril. And I think like the more intimate nature of this episode is what really made it work for people. Yeah, I agree. Like, you think Claire traveled back 200 years in time to let you die of a snake bite? Like, I really don't think so. (laughs) I agree with you, Christy. All right. Final comment of the episode is from Joan Cohen. She says, I love the shift in dynamic between Jamie and Roger during the story arc. Jamie clearly didn't expect Roger to accompany him due to his lack of hunting prowess and is resigned to having him along. But when Roger steps up during the snake bite crisis, he begins to appreciate him for who he is, even if their approaches to situations are different. It was satisfying that Jamie finally acknowledges Roger as a son and entrusts him with protecting all that he holds dear. The respect and caring between them seemed mutual when Jamie admitted at the end that he found Roger a comfort, yet they could still lightly rib each other. I could also see that the realization he does have something to offer others in the 18th century could be the spark to set Roger on a path toward his calling, which he desperately needed after his existential crisis after his hanging. I think Ian lashed out in anger because he was shocked to see his idol knocked off his pedestal, but it was important for Jamie to learn that he's worth more to the family than just his physical strength. He's so used to being strong and taking care of everyone else that it's hard for him to realize his family is there to help shoulder the burden. The conversation between Fergus and Ian was wonderful. Ian is also used to managing his burdens alone, so it was good that Fergus gently reminded him how lucky they both were to have Jamie and that they should be there to support him, just as Jamie has supported them during their own crises. I really appreciated that there were flashes of humor even in the most dire moments of the episode. It would have been pretty heavy without it. I agree. I really appreciated the humor in this episode because I think it definitely would have been way too heavy. Like, not quite as heavy as Wentworth Prison heavy, but yeah, the humor definitely helped. Alrighty, guys. With that, that brings 509 Monsters and Heroes to a close. And with that, that brings me to hiatus for this next nine to ten weeks. I will be back after season six comes to a close. So if you guys would like to interact with me in the meantime, you can join my private Facebook group, TSF Obsassinax. I will be doing weekly knee-jerk reactions on there every Sunday night after a new episode of Outlander airs on Saturday night at midnight. So if you would like to chat about what you think about the new episodes of Outlander as they come on, please come over and join TSF Obsassnacks. It's completely free. All you need to do is answer all three admission questions and agree to follow the rules. And with that, I'm signing off for a few weeks. You guys enjoy season six. I am so looking forward to watching it and talking to you all about it. And uh, you guys stay safe out there. I'll chat to you later. Bye. Bye.